Welcome to the She Is podcast. Come join us as we share with each other the stories that make us who we are. Our hope is that you're challenged and encouraged to keep boldly writing your story. Hey guys, I'm really excited for today because I have Miss um, Linda Castro with me and she and I have been serving alongside each other for about 10 years now and she's always been such an encouragement to me. Um, I just love any time that I get to spend with her and so I, would you be willing to just introduce yourself a little bit and um, maybe just tell them something you enjoy doing? Um. Well, yes, my name is Linda Castro. My husband is the Spanish pastor at Graceway, Marco. And we have been here since, I think, 34 years wow. now, so here in Kansas City. Um, my, um, I just, my favorite thing is being a mom, but I'm a mom and now a grandma, which is also my favorite thing. How many grandbabies? I have nine grandchildren. Wow. And, um, and then I really love creativity. I tend to be creative, so I like interior design, I like crafting, that kind of stuff. So what is your latest project that you've been working on? I'm I'm still thinking about it, but I'm working towards turning one of my rooms just for the grandkids. Oh. Mm So like a toy room or for them to sleep also? Or? Both. Okay. I, I want kind of the toys concentrated in there. Yeah. And then um, like a big um, chalkboard and table where they can do things and a place to sleep as well. It'll kind of be a multi-purpose room, I think. Oh, how fun for them to get yes. to Grandma's house and <laughs> have just a little spot for them. So yeah. will you like thrift this stuff? Oh, I know yeah. that you, okay. I'm a thrifter and I'll paint and then uh, paint the room needs to be painted and then whatever. I'm really just looking for a bed at a garage sale that I can uh, paint and make it look cute. And um, yeah, it'll mostly be thrifted most likely. Nice. Well, <laughs> I, that's always up my alley. So mm-hmm. I love that you do that. Mm-hmm. I know at one time I, um, you helped me at a house I was working on we whitewashed yes. a yes. chimney yes. or like a fireplace uh-huh. area. And uh-huh. uh, <laughs> that was probably the first time I got to spend time around you. Uh-huh. Really I enjoyed remember that was really great. All the, I, I think what I remember most is just the wisdom that you had. You were a step ahead of me in parenting. Yeah, and, yeah. And so um, yeah. I enjoyed that. Well, today, Miss Linda has um, a couple stories of God's faithfulness in her life. And... Um, I just, we, a couple weeks ago, got coffee together and um, she shared a couple stories with me of how the Lord's been faithful to her and to her family over the years. And I asked her if she'd be willing to share those with you today. And so she's just going to share them one at a time and we're going to talk about them a little bit. And um, our hope is that they'll encourage you to look at how the Lord's been faithful yeah. um, in your lives. Exactly. So. Would you be willing to read the first one for okay. us? Okay. Well, the first one is kind of goes back into pre-me being born, but because it's a, an interesting story, but it teaches me, and I hope you will see God's sovereignty in our lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it starts with my grandfather who was born in Sweden. My dad, 
or my mom's dad. So the first time I heard the story of how he came to America, I was a little bit unnerved by it. He and his cousin um, had wanted to emigrate to America. They were both 18 years old and... Wait just a second, for some reason it is not... So I'm going to start my story way, way back when, um, before I was even born because I see God's providence even from then. Um, my grandfather, my, my mom's dad, was born in Sweden. <clears throat> and the first time I heard the story of how he came to America, I felt a bit unnerved by it. He and his cousin had wanted to emigrate to America. They were both 18 years old. And they made it as far as London uh, to find a ship that would be sailing to America. And this was the time when it was soon to be the time for the Titanic to sail. So they, there was so much interest in this ship, and they were able to buy tickets and soon realized that they could make a little money if they <laughs> sold their tickets and waited to go on another ship. So being 18 and poor, that's what they did. Um, and then later booked a passage on a Russian boat sailing to Canada and came through Canada. Um, so when I heard that story, um, I realized that if he had been on that boat, um, I would not be here today. Um, and obviously, because he was, they were poor, they would have been at the lowest portion of the boat and obviously never made it to the top to get on a lifeboat. Um, so it kind of freaked me out that there was a possibility that I would have never been born if he had sailed on that ship. But during my Bible reading, I kept finding promises from God. Um, Ephesians 1.4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And also Galatians 1.15 says, But when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. So I kept finding more verses that confirmed to me that God has each of us in mind even before we're conceived, actually, or before we're born. And that gave me such comfort and confidence in the realization that he had a purpose for my life. So the story of my grandfather father's journey to America ended up being a huge blessing to me um, and giving me a greater understanding of God's sovereignty. Because um, a God who created the universe and the world that we live in and everything in it had me in his mind even then, just he has had you in his mind as well. And only God can do that. Awesome. I think it's just so rare that you mm -hmm. meet someone who can see that one decision changed the like length of their life. Yes. And uh, yeah. I, when you first told me that story, I remember my mind was just blown at, um, we all know the Titanic. Yes. And yeah. the story of that and, and how different life would have been. Yeah. So was your, yeah. was your grandfather a Christian? Um, no, he was not. Um, I think he may have become one towards the end of his life. He did, when he 
came to church or to the United States. He was a farmer in Minnesota, and at that time you could buy land grants from the government. So he bought a farm, and was a farmer his whole life. So there was a little Lutheran um, country church, and there were two churches, and he went to that one because they allowed him to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> but they had a revival in that church when my mom was a teenager, and she got saved. And, and through that, um, I don't know, honestly, if he did. My mom's not really sure. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping that he did. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but he did hear the gospel, so yeah. uh, we have to leave that in God's hands at this point. So did he ever talk about how that had impacted his life, or was it kind of... It was something that I we didn't find out about until, at least I didn't, until I was a little bit older. There's something about sometimes the people from that generation, they didn't talk a lot about those things. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, even cousins and aunts and uncles, and then I never was around my family a whole lot through my life. So um, they, I never heard it brought up when we were at family things at all. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, now at this age, um, when I'm in Minnesota, every once in a while, I do try to meet up with my cousins. And all of them know the story, so it got told at some point. Yeah. But I, and, and he passed away when I was very young, so I never personally was able to, to, to hear, it from, uh, hear him. It from him. Yeah. Or know how much he really talked about it, but yeah. yeah. So... Um, do you remember, like, just the principle of God's sovereignty, mm -hmm. do you remember applying that to your life in another way um, when you experienced something in your life, just knowing that your life could have been different had your grandfather mm -hmm. you know, taken the tickets that he bought yeah. and actually used them? Yes. Um, do you remember another time in your life where you felt like you used that, what you learned from that story to kind of trust that the Lord had things? Yes, actually a lot, because I, I think it made me war, more aware of his sovereignty even in our daily lives. Mm. Um, and, you know, when <clears throat> my husband Marco's from Costa Rica, and so when, when we were married, we lived there the first eight years of our marriage, but when we were deciding he wanted to get more Bible training. So that's why we came to the States with the idea that we would go back to Latin America because we had both agreed before we were married we wanted to raise our children in Latin America because mm. I was raised there and he was from there and I loved it. And um, so that was our plan. And here we are 34 years later. And so when we came, we didn't know what the future held we knew what we wanted for him to because there was shepherd school here at that time it was called it was four years so he wanted to go through that and then we were going to see where God was going to take us mm -hmm. and we every year there was a missions conference and we kept you know okay this year God is going to show us oh. where we're supposed to go mm -hmm. and he never felt any like call from God or any circumstances happening that would show us and in the meantime the Spanish ministry began and um, that began to grow and it looking back it's so easy to see God's sovereignty but sure. we were 
trusting God, you know, mm-hmm. and confused as to why doors were not opening for mm-hmm. us. But um, uh, one day, uh, Jeff Adams, who was a pastor at the time, t- um, told Marco, because they were traveling and training pastors in Latin America. Mm-hmm. And he said to Marco, do you realize that if you had moved to Latin America and started a church, he said, your outreach right now to Latin America and the world is far greater than oh. you would have in one spot. And um, when he came back, that was on a trip they were taking, when he came back and and said that to me, it, it's, that's where like all of a sudden the light kind of clicks on. And well, I guess God brought us here to stay which had never been in our mind, and yet it was in God's mind. And you, we could see how God had led us here mm-hmm. and then kept us here. And that's when we decided to buy a home because we had our only renting and just trying not to have too much stuff so we would be ready to go when God said, yeah. go there, wherever. We didn't care where we went, but we thought, well, Latin America, because we both speak Spanish. Yeah. But um, God had a... a purpose for us here. So again, it's so easy to see when you look back on your life, decisions that are made, and you see how God was in it. But I believe that if when we're Christians, he's involved in every part. We may not be aware of it, and we may make a decision even without asking him, Mm -hmm. and yet he's sovereign in it. I, I truly believe that. I've seen that too many times in my life. Even people you meet or something happens and you look back and you think, wow, and the Lord was that was what God was yeah. doing. Yeah. That's and awesome. so, yeah, it, I think that began my journey of really understanding God's sovereignty, mm-hmm. which is a very precious thing. And um, I think it's good to look at those things and look at your life. And obviously this was a big one when you know your grandfather could have died and, and he <laughs> right. didn't. And, um, <clears throat> And Mark always jokes and tells people, I would have been a widower before I was even born. <laughs> but, um, you know, to, that, to see that, and I just think it's always wonderful to look at your life and see, even if we make a wrong decision, that doesn't mean, you know, maybe God would have led us somewhere else, but he's sovereign and he knows where he's going to get you, mm-hmm. and he'll use that. Mm-hmm. And that's part of his sovereignty. Yeah. And so that takes a lot of fear out of things sometimes to not worry so much because, you know, we're in his hands. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I think a lot of times people have shame around decisions they felt were mm -hmm. outside of of what they wanted. We've all made those decisions. But I think when we get to heaven, we'll see it all clearly. We may not even see it clear now, but we Mm -hmm. can trust, you know, he cares about every detail of our life and so you know we're all learning and growing we're never going to make all perfect decisions and we sin sometimes even Mm -hmm. knowing we shouldn't do something and even that even in his forgiveness with that you know we get a chance to see his mercy and his grace and we learn more from him so I think it's one of the uh, really sweet parts of his character Mm, is his sovereignty in our lives. And I I love that you're at a place in life where you can just look back and see. I mean, I think we all can look back Uh and just see how the Lord 
protected us from things mm -hmm. or helped guide us uh -huh. um, yes. or orchestrated something yes. that we may not have thought was good at the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I really, yeah. really love that. Yeah. You brought another story to share um, about your childhood. Okay. And I would love if you'd be willing to read that now. No, okay. This actually is how I came to know the Lord. Um, but again, I see God's hand in that. Um, so I, this was when I was 14 years old, and we were at that point living in Pasadena, California. Um, I grew up actually on the mission field, but we had come to the United States for a year um, from missionary service in Ecuador, and my dad had been invited to teach at a Bible school in California. Um, so we headed um, there after visiting all our relatives in Minnesota um, in time to start school. And later in, the, in January of that school year, our whole family, my three sisters and I and mom and dad, except for my brother, were in a horrific car accident. <clears throat> And it happened right in downtown Pasadena, and a drunk driver sped through a red light right in front of us, and we didn't have time to stop, and so hit his car going about 30 miles an hour. And this was back in the day when cars only had seat belts in front, and many times people didn't use them. It wasn't in uh, law yet to wear mm -hmm. a seat belt. Uh, my hat, dad had his seat belt on, and my mom did not. And she was holding my little three-year-old sister in her lap because they also didn't have a law about where kids sat yeah. those days and <laughs> no cars, <laughs> and there weren't car seats. So um, uh, when we hit the other car, my mom could see that we were going to crash, so she pushed my sister down on the floor so she wouldn't smash her against the dashboard. But my mom, we hit it so hard she her head hit the windshield and made a huge hole let's say about the size of a uh, smaller than a basketball but a, a pretty good size um, so it was a very traumatic experience and through that whole or ordeal she lost so much blood she almost died <clears throat> and yet God spared her life it was a miracle uh, many people were praying for her. She, it, um, she was in the hospital for months and then in rehab, and it took years for her to function normally again. And the rest of us all had lesser injuries. Um, uh, and um, But I remember being terrified that my at the moment of the accident and seeing my mom. She was completely covered in blood and <clears throat> lying on the seat and um, I was terrified that she would die, and I begged God to spare her life, and God answered that prayer, and he used that to begin to work in my heart because I began to wonder about my own mortality and kept thinking that if I would have died in that accident, would I be in heaven? And um, I couldn't. I was so conflicted in my heart. I had accepted Jesus as a Savior when I was a child, but I had never really dealt with the issue that I was a sinner and um, before God. And, you know, I'd asked Jesus into my heart because 
honestly, because my sister did, and I wanted to be the same as her. And uh, I, I was always interested in Jesus. I think I really loved Jesus, but I didn't understand salvation and had never dealt with that personal sin before the Lord. So I, I struggled for months over that. It was too... Um, embarrassed in a way or, or I didn't want I didn't talk to anyone about it I just would worry about it and um, until one um, because of her accident then we my dad accepted a call to pastor a church because of her health we couldn't go back to the mission field I struggled <clears throat> for that for several months but finally uh, one night I went forward at a meeting knowing I needed Jesus to cleanse my heart from sin, and I gave my heart to him. So God used that tragic accident in many ways um, in our family's life. My mom actually lived to be 95 years old and thankfully never suffered in the end any brain damage or long-term effects in her body. Um, and. She was able to be a godly example in my life all the way then through the rest of my childhood and then as a mom when I got older and got married and um, enjoyed her uh, children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So even though you always wonder why did we have to suffer through that, I can see how God Again, maybe his sovereignty knew that's what I needed to open up my eyes to my need for him. And I know he used it in many other ways in people's lives as well. So, um, but that's what he used to bring me to him. Mm -hmm. I love that. So um, at a point in your story, you shared um, that your mom almost died several <laughs> times. And when... When we met, you told mm -hmm. me some of the circumstances of that, and I was wondering if you would be willing to go yeah. into detail about the sure. hospital. Yes. And so when uh, when the ambulance when we went got to the hospital, because my I don't re I know my older sister and I actually sat in the front seat of the ambulance, and the siren wasn't working, so my sister had to turn the light, but the siren didn't work, so he had to slow down at every stop light because the siren didn't work. And I, I remember feeling so anxious because my mom was in the back mm -hmm. and we didn't know how she was yeah. gonna do. And, um, but when we finally got there, I found this out later because we were taken, we were all taken to different places. I had a broken arm and there were different injuries, but um, my mom, uh, by the time they got to the hospital, had lost so much blood that her veins had all collapsed. And so they couldn't get any blood into her. And for some reason, which I don't know why, they left her because they thought she was going to just die any moment. And she could not say anything. She couldn't move, but she said she could hear. And she heard them come up from the morgue to get her. And the nurse said, no, she's, her heart's still beating. Um, apparently, they called the morgue already thinking she would be gone by then. And when she heard that, she told the Lord, 
um, asked him to spare her life, she, that he had given her five children and she had not finished her task yet. <laughs> and please give her time to finish her task. And there was a shift change right about that time. And the doctor came in at that moment and said, what is being done, done for this woman? And they said, we can't get any needle into her. Well, he just got a tube into her heart. Why they didn't do that, we don't know, but mm-hmm. right away. And so she lived. And then there was a few other times she had a blood, she got a blood clot, clot in her lung at one point. And so they called, um, my dad was teaching at a Bible school. So all those pastors came and prayed, anointed her with oil and prayed over her and her clot disappeared. and. Um, so she, he, she, she's, you know, almost died probably two or three times, and yet God um, spared her life. Yeah. There was another part of it um, about the plastic surgeon. Oh, was, yes. So this, again, you just see God working. I forgot that part. The, um, the doctor that saved her life was, I guess they all take turns in the emergency room or did it back in those days. And um, he was the, I guess, most well-known plastic surgeon in, in Los Angeles, anyway, at that time. So he's the one that sewed up her head, her forehead, because she had hit with her forehead, and um, told her that in the future she'd probably have to have some plastic surgery, but she never did. Like you, after the, the scarring went, you know, and, and the healing went down, <clears throat> She really never, I mean, she had one eyebrow higher than the other, mm-hmm. but you just didn't notice, at least we never did. And she never had any plastic surgery. That's amazing. And again, I just look at that and think, God put him there. He spared her life, and not only he spared her life, but he did a good he job, did a good job of stitching her up. So, yeah. I love that. Uh, well, that was good. I was thinking, has it been a year ago that your mom died or about a year? In April, April 1st will be a year since she passed away. Yeah. yeah. I was just wondering, what, um, what do you miss most about her? She was always my confidant. Mm. I remember when I was leaving home, uh, they were still in the mission field in, uh, when I graduated from high school. I was only 17, but my sister had waited a year for me and we came back to the States, the two of us together to go to school. And I remember telling her mom, because this was back when you wrote letters that was, or <laughs> sent a telegram. There, you did, there, were, there were phones, but it was so expensive. You couldn't ever just call and chat. Yeah. <clears throat> so mostly you communicated through letters. And um, I remember sitting, telling my mom, mom, who am I going to talk to when I'm there? I won't have anyone to talk to. Who am I gonna, who's going to give me counsel? Yeah. And she said, you know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is our counselor. Mm. So you stay in the Word of God, and um, God will lead you, and he'll you know, pray that he always just puts godly people in your life, and he did. Mm. And so but then, of course, when they retired and came to the States, and then we could talk on the phone. We yeah. would talk for hours. <laughs> so I, I miss her um, wisdom in my mm. life. Um, she was funny. She had this really quirky sense of humor, and she lived with us the last seven months of her life, which was a blessing for me because I never got to live near her in my adult life. Mm, yeah. And so to have her in my own home for all that time. So my, Marco and I would laugh so hard sometimes 
over little things that she would say. I mean, she wasn't like telling a joke type of person. She, just she was funny just things. funny to me. <laughs> anyway, so I miss her little humor, her little insights that were always kind of humoristic, and I can't think of any example right now, but <laughs> yeah, she was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and she's she's left a, a legacy yes. for, for your family. Yeah. And so Absolutely. Yeah. Will you have another story to share? Are you willing to read that to us now? Sure. <laughs> There's time to hear it. Okay, so um, this is um, kind of more after high school. Um, after I was saved at the age of 15 and began to grow in my relationship with the Lord, I started to see... Um, many circumstances that were without a doubt situations of God's providence in my life. So I have no doubt that he's consistently at work in our lives, even when we're not aware of it. So I was born in Minnesota. I grew up as a missionary child in Ecuador, South America. And like I said before, we also lived in California for a few years when I was a teenager. And because of those years that we lived in California, most of my siblings ended up back in that state um, after graduating from high school in Ecuador and coming to the United States to go to college. However, when I was ready to go to college, I decided I wanted to go back to Minnesota where I was born and get um, my education there because <clears throat> of growing up in Ecuador, we had never had much opportunity to get to know our our relatives, our cousins and aunts and uncles who were all from Minnesota. So um, I, I decided to go there and I uh, attended a Christian college called Crown College and majored in music. And uh, my goal had been uh, to spend time, if I could, with some of my relatives. So I did have especially one aunt and uncle who I didn't have a car I lived on campus and it was kind of outside of town but they would come and get me on the weekends mm. um, they had six children five boys and one girl and so I had so much fun getting to know them and they were a great help to me in adjusting to the American culture mm. <laughs> um, and then I had opportunities to see other aunts and uncles as well but because this was a Christian college uh, we had a chapel service once a week that we were required to attend. So one day a man came to speak <clears throat> at chapel. And I don't remember a thing that he said, but I knew he spoke Spanish because he was from a Spanish-speaking Bible school in southern Texas and had come and talked to us about that ministry. So after chapel, I went to talk to him, not because I was interested in that ministry, but because I wanted to talk to someone <laughs> in Spanish. <laughs> And so we had a great conversation in Spanish, and when he found out that I was a music major, he told me that the school was looking for a music teacher uh, and asked me if I would be interested. So he sent me an application later, and I may, may, turned in my application, and by the next August, I was on my way to teach music um, to Spanish-speaking students at a Bible school in Texas, in southern Texas. And that very same year, my husband, Marco, who is from Costa Rica, came to take one year of Bible at that school. And he, saw, he loved music and signed up for a 
music class that I taught. So that's how we met, and we were married two years later. And as I say, the rest is history. So when I look back on that one chance encounter at chapel that day, I realize how that changed the whole course of my life, or even the decision to go to Minnesota instead of stay in California where all my, where my brother and sisters were, um, took my life in a totally different direction. Um, so it reminds me again of God's sovereignty in the intimate way in which he brings circumstances into our lives. Um, so even though I was unaware at the time, I knew I had the desire to get to know my family. That's what motivated that one decision. And then to go talk to this man in Spanish, because I miss speaking Spanish. So, Would you have uh, gone to talk to him if you hadn't thought he spoke Spanish? Probably not. Yeah. That was my only motivation. I'm like, okay, I have not talked to someone in Spanish for so long. There weren't many people up no, there No, <laughs> There was another, um, uh, actually three, who were brother and two sisters who were, had been missionaries in um, Brazil, and, but they spoke Portuguese. Oh. So we learned soon we couldn't really communicate that yeah. well together. But no, I, no one... I mean, <laughs> you're way up north. <laughs> um, there wasn't uh, no Hispanics at that point. I, probably now there are at that school, but back then, no. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Marco is into music. Uh-huh. Well, he's, he has a really nice voice, okay. and he enjoys music. So, yeah. He so was, it wasn't that he had spotted you and oh, decided no, to take no, a music No, lesson. he had no idea. Um, he just had signed up for uh, he was in the choir. What, what happened was he was, there was a choir back then. That was mm-hmm. back in what, late 70s, early 80s. And <clears throat> so they always did a Christmas kind of cantata. Yes. And they, they also had a language school for missionaries. So there were English speakers and Spanish speakers on the campus. And the ones who spoke Spanish helped the Americans who were going to the mission field to learn Spanish. That was oh, how yeah. the school functioned. So, but they had a, a cantata kind of at Christmas, and they all sang in it, whether English or Spanish, but the whole thing was in Spanish. So my job was to work with the soloists oh, in, on okay. their parts, and yes. he was a soloist, so he, I had a class on how to sing properly, how to vocalize and how to breathe and all that, and so he took that class to help him with his solo. Okay. Yeah. So was it love at first sight? Um, no. No. Um, he, I remember, um, I, I thought a lot of him just by watching him and how he conducted himself. Mm-hmm. And they had a banquet in October, but this was a very <laughs> um, legalistic school. So boys and the guys and the girls in the Spanish and the Bible Institute, they were not allowed to date at that point, partly because they most of them came from Latin America. So the school felt very responsible about their purity and their choices. And so they just had no dating, you know, obviously romances happened anyway. Um, And so they would have a banquet, and they would seat a guy and a girl and a guy and a girl to teach social graces. (laughs) And then the student council would do the seating arrangement, so then 
people are going to them and saying, oh, put me next to her or put me next to him, <laughs> those kind of things. So which, Marco requested No, he assembly. did not request <laughs> it. And I only went because I, I worked with singing groups as well, and three groups were singing. So I, I was accompanying these groups on the piano, so I attended. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have even oh, okay. attended this banquet. Mm-hmm. But they put me in with the students, and, um, and I ended up sitting next to him. And he says when he saw my name there, he thought, darn it, right next to a teacher. I can't have, I won't have any fun. <laughs> and, but um, neither of us remember who sat on either side of us or across the table, but we struck up a conversation right away. Mm-hmm. And I remember we both shared, you know, how God had worked in our lives and we both um, talked about our personal goals, what we felt like God, where God was leading us and that kind of thing. Yeah. And he had told me that he would never marry an American. Oh. And so I, I remember feeling, this is great. I don't have to worry <laughs> There's about There's no pressure. Yeah, you know, we can just be friends because I, I don't know why I, why I wasn't interested in him or anything. I just thought he was really a nice guy. Mm-hmm. He, he was a little older than most of the students. and um, But that's kind of where it started. So it started a, with a friendship and um, and then, I don't know if I told you how he asked me. So that was like October and then he was still in my class and you know, so we'd see each other and <clears throat> she never I never spent any time outside of class with him or anything but after class he'd always stay and chat with me and um uh I just remember I just had he was a, he was some of the young men at the school w- would flirt a lot and mm-hmm. I you know I was the only single teacher on staff my roommate was a receptionist so we were the only single gals there and so they always were warning us, be careful, you know, don't. And um, so they, they they would flirt, you know, and stuff. But I remember he never did. Like, I thought I really respected him because he knew when he, to be sober and he knew, you know, mm-hmm. I, uh, when, how to behave himself, I guess is what <laughs> I'm saying. So um, one day, it was in March, and we had, after that October banquet, and he asked me if he could walk with me after class. Mm. And um, so he told me about how when he came to the school, his three roommates, who were all from different Latin countries, they would pray every Monday for their future wives. And he said, so I realized the other day that in my own personal life, I'm not praying for my future wife. I'm praying for you. Mm-hmm. And he goes, would you be willing to pray about becoming my wife? I mean, we had never been on a date. We had never. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Back it up a little. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. And so that kind of started me thinking. In that direction. In another direction. I knew I thought highly of him. I really had high regard for him. I had a lot of respect for him. Yeah. Well, then he went and told the dean because he felt like he should be honest that he was interested in me. Mm-hmm. And the dean, which de- is very respectful. Yes, and he said he wanted the, him to hear it from him first, yeah. and you know, and we knew. I mean, I'm a teacher, so what do you do? You know, I wasn't a student, and right. um, 
So then the dean called me into his office, and he was kind of like a father figure to me. His wife, I had the same last name as them. They had four daughters, but their youngest daughter had just gotten married. Mm -hmm. And so I was at their house a lot because she kind of took, she was kind of like a mother fi yeah. figure to me, and we spent a lot of time together. And um, so he sat me down. He said, Marco's come to talk to me. And he goes, I just want to know what you're thinking. He said, because if you're not interested, I'll make sure he never bothers you again. Oh. And I said, well, <laughs> I said, I honestly don't know. I'm like, I'm, su <laughs> I'm surprised, but I'm intrigued. And I don't know how I feel about it yet. And um, he said, well, I'm going to tell you this one thing. He said, of all the students in this student body, that Marco stands head and shoulders above everyone else. Oh. And so they allowed us to have, like, dates. I mean, we're both <laughs> 25 years old by this time. And we were allowed, but we had to be in a staff person's home. Like, we had to meet in a oh. staff person's home. And a so, date. well, sort of, like, like the first one was at his house, and his wife was sick that week, so she was in bed, and he had made um, the dean. The had, dean had, had made, made dinner. not dinner, just like a cookies or I can't remember something. Okay. Made coffee. He knew because I was yeah. he. I always got coffee at his office, and um, and he put on classical music, which is my love, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then he said, "I'm going out to mow the yard." So, I mean, he was respectful. Yeah. I think he knew there was a, you know. So just so we could have a chance to know each other. Yeah. yeah. So it was very weird. I know no, no one's <laughs> probably ever had a relationship like that. But we had a few of those before the end of the year. And then he did go with me to California. My mom and dad were back in the States that year. And um, so he, we went there so he could meet them. And even he didn't ask my dad if he could marry me, but he told my dad, you know, he was really interested in me. And um, and then he had to cut that short, and his mom was in the hospital, so he went back to Costa Rica. And then we, he, we wrote letters okay. um, and, uh, for that next school year. Oh, wow, so you were apart for a we year. We were apart for that uh, year, and... Um, and really not even like phone calls back. This is still like what, this is 1979. And so for me to call, that was back when you could call long distance, but depending on the time, it was cheaper. So we, if we called each other, it'd be like five in the morning or something. <laughs> and, um, but I remember the cheapest was a dollar a minute. Oh, wow. So you were really just like, you had to, this, these are the things uh -huh. I need to talk about. So we didn't talk on the phone very often. Um, he wrote me every single day. Aww. And I wasn't that diligent. <laughs> but, and then I went to Costa Rica that summer, and, that, and we got engaged. And then he came back the following January to Texas. We got married in Texas. Oh, nice. Uh -huh. But we really didn't know each other that well. Well. But... Um, <laughs> We we got to know each other really But you quickly. knew his character. Yes, and, yes. And so really yeah, by then, like we never really had a chance to date a you whole didn't lot. Know the day to day. Uh huh. About each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we knew the important things, mm -hmm. and and our you know we already knew our goals were similar. Yeah. We both wanted to be in ministry. We both 
love the Lord and um, yeah. so yeah. And that's really important thing. Yeah. And here we are today in Kansas City. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> well, I love I do love to see God's hand on your life. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> just how He orchestrated you guys meeting each other. Just the fact that the one year that Marco was there was the year that yeah you were teaching and yes and uh, so. But I also believe that people can know each other a long time. You know, sometimes I'm amazed by childhood sweethearts. Mm, you know, yeah. those sweet stories. Yeah. So I think everybody's story of how God puts them together sure. is so great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> well, um, there was one last thing. When, when we had coffee, uh, there was a story you shared about your parents going down to the market in the village when you lived in Ecuador. Mm -hmm. And the... The Ecuadorian women there, uh -huh. um, and I was just curious if you would be willing to share that last story. When I got home that day, I said to the girls, "You should listen to this story that I heard today. It just was so so great." And do you know which one I'm talking yes, about? Yes, yes, um, with the stones. Yes, yes. And I just thought um, I've thought about it multiple times mm -hmm. since you shared it, and just how the Lord's protection um, yeah. can be over you. Yes. Uh, no matter where you are. Yes. And so I just, would you be willing to just, of course. just share that story um, yeah. as we wrap up? Um, well, to understand it better, like when we went to the mission field, this was 1953, um, I was only three months old. I was born in November. We went there in February of 53. So this is a long, long time ago. And in the city, we went to the third largest city of Ecuador. And that's a Roman Catholic um, country. Mm -hmm. But their Catholicism was really mixed up with a lot of the old pagan Inca. Um, like they had a goddess, I can't remember her name, and, and really it was just like that was Mary, kind of. They mixed them together. Okay. There was a lot of really weird um, things mm -hmm. happening. So when this was like no one had ever brought the gospel to that part of the world wow. back then. Yeah. There are tons of churches there now, but <clears throat> so, you know, I think if you look at history, every time the gospel comes into a country, it, it, it's, it's tough. Mm -hmm. You know, Satan doesn't, it's Satan's ground that you're coming into. Right. So we, we got a lot of opposition. And then we, we moved actually to a smaller town, and this is where this happened, because they wanted to open a work in, in this smaller town. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like, they didn't even want to rent. And they, we finally found someone that would rent us a place. Mm -hmm. um, but people, because the priest would tell them that, they actually said oh, my dad evil. was the devil. Oh, wow, okay. And, um, and that we, they were not allowed to get any literature from us, so like any tracts that we wanted to pass out. and. Um, there, there was all kinds of stories going around about us. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of opposition, but at the same time, people were very curious. We were Americans. We looked different. Mm -hmm. When we were little, we were a lot blonder and, well, now I'm white, but uh, hair, but um, so they would touch us. So, you know, some people would be curious, mm -hmm. and but people would, like, spit on us when we walked oh. by because they just were told that they, we were, like, bad. Yeah. And mom and dad would um, uh, uh, market day was Sunday and Thursday. So 
every all the Indians from the villages all around and bring their produce, kind of like a farmer's market here. It would be in the big, huge park in front of the Catholic church. And that's where they would sell their stuff. And um, no one would sell to my mom at the beginning. There, a woman finally came to my mom. She goes, if you'll pay me, I'll buy your groceries for you because wow. they wouldn't even sell her yeah. stuff. But they would go, and my dad would, uh, he had a Land Rover, and he would had a like little battery-operated um, megaphone, and um, they would sing and they would draw and a crowd. And my mom had this little pump organ that you pumped with your feet was by air. It's kind of like a big accordion, but you did it with your feet. Awesome. And they would sing to draw attention, and then my dad would preach the mm -hmm. gospel to them. Well, this he did that almost. They did that almost every week. And um, there wasn't a whole lot of response, but there were some young men who were going to the university and they kind of had struck up conversations with my dad and they liked it because back then, even in the Catholic Church, they only had read the Bible. Their Bible was in Latin, so they never understood their mass. They just went there because it was their religion. And so my dad would talk to them about the Bible, so they were interested. And, he probably um, explained things. Yes. Yeah, and he was willing to talk to them about, okay. about God and mm -hmm. the Bible. So the very first young man, which I didn't tell you that, that got saved, he actually got kicked out of his home. They had a funeral for him. Oh he was um, excommunicated from the Catholic Church, of course, and then excommunicated from his home. Oh. So the price was, was high. It was high. And um, so the priest had told them that really the idea that our lives were not worth anything, that it was better if, if we were gotten rid of. And um, so they would try to s set fires in our front door and did several things, throw rocks through our windows and stuff. But um, one night, one day, Dad, they went there to preach and um, all these Indian ladies gathered around and they, it's cold up in those mountains of, uh, the Andes Mountains, and so they would make these really, they wore long wool skirts and several layers of them, and then they could use the top layer kind of to carry things in. So they, it was not unusual to see them carry sets. Like put that top layer in uh, their It belt. was tucked in their belt, and then you didn't know if they're carrying potatoes or whatever. Right. So <clears throat> all of a sudden, the young those, some of the young men that were there came up to my dad and said, you need to leave right now, follow us. And so they went out and they didn't know why, but they got their stuff and left. And the next day, the lady that, she became our maid really because she would do my mom's shopping and she would come and clean and stuff for my mom. She came and told us that there's all this going around in the marketplace, that these ladies had all had stones in their in their skirts, and they had a signal that when that signal came, they were going to stone the, my parents. Wow. And um, and they had already given the signal, and none of them could lift up their arms. Wow. And that's right when the young men came and said they had heard about it, and so oh. they said, we're going to get them out of here because they respected my dad. Mm -hmm. So God spared their life and spared it, you know, for and years. Uh -huh. And yes, obviously, that was one thing that kind of broke the 
it made people think like, wow, yeah. something something larger than larger is there. And now they're in that town. They're, I mean, it's really hard place mm-hmm. for the gospel. Yeah. Um, but uh, there are churches that honor the Lord Jesus today, and you know, uh, you know, there's still people that need to be saved, and but mm-hmm. yeah, so that was kind of a groundbreaking time yeah. in history. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I just I I love um, how there were multiple things that had happened over the years yes. where they tried to, yes. to hurt you yes. or your family or yes. I remember your sister uh-huh. and yeah. just that the yeah. Lord yeah. really protected you guys yeah. during that time. And and it was, I think, you know, it was a testing time. I don't know if I have time to tell this because this is what ministered to me when I became a mom. I remember having children and thinking, would I be willing to oh. go somewhere where they want to kill my kids. my kids mm-hmm. and kill me or whatever, and uh, so, I mean I never thought of it in that sense. Mm-hmm. I always knew the stories. I always knew God protected us. I always knew that um, we also knew missionaries who had been killed, um, mm-hmm. five missionaries, and so we knew that sometimes is the price you pay to bring the gospel. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew all that in my head because we heard and knew all those stories, but I never thought of it in a personal sense like when I had kids. So I asked my mom, I said, how did you as a mom handle that knowing your family, you know, a mother's instinct to preserve oh, the life wow. of her children? Mm-hmm. And she said, it, it she goes, first of all, we counted that cost before we left oh. because we knew that that was a possibility. But the Bible says if you don't love mother or father or anything, you know, if you're not willing to give him your whole life, mm-hmm. um, then are you know, where are you with him? Because he asked for our whole life. Mm-hmm. And she, you also understand when, if God did that, she said, I knew God would somehow give us the grace for whatever it was. Oh, wow. um, but they, they had faced that decision. They were willing to do that before mm-hmm. they left. And yet God continually spared our lives. I mean, things happen, but we never, never got that bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I can see knowing you, uh-huh. where um, your deep faith and the grace that you mm-hmm. have um, comes from. from yes, legacy. yes, because I had the privilege of watching that, of mm-hmm. seeing my own parents with that kind of commitment to the Lord. I know what the gospel costs, yeah. and um, so I feel like it was a privilege almost for me to sure. live that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and I don't take it lightly. Like, um, like that's a lot of, um, that puts a lot of responsibility, I feel like, on me, understanding that from my own life story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I, I feel really honored that you would share these stories um, with all of us today mm-hmm. and, and uh, 
just uh, have always uh, looked up to you in in life and in your in the faith that I see uh, you walk the path that I see you walk and so I just thank you for being willing to be here and to be transparent with us um, and to share these stories of faith and um, I know for the people listening I hope that we're all gonna kind of look back at our own lives and, yeah and yeah see how the Lord's been faithful yeah well, thank you. I, you know, I, w- I was really reluctant <laughs> to do this, <laughs> but thank you but for I'm that so oppor- glad that you did. opportunity. Yes. So. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Graceway's She Is podcast. We pray that today's episode encouraged you and gave you hope for your own journey. Be sure to subscribe to get notified about future episodes. 